Thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast from Visit Aurora from the rafters of the Stanley Marketplace. This is the show dedicated to telling the stories of Aurora, Colorado. Hi there, I'm Dave, Senior Marketing Manager for Visit Aurora. Built in 1946, engulfed by an inferno in 1981, rebuilt, reinvented, and reinvigorated, the Aurora Fox Theater has risen like a phoenix to become a cultural force in Aurora for performing arts. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Rich Cowden, the executive producer and artistic director of the Aurora Fox Arts Center, and Chelsea Jones, marketing and communications strategist for the Aurora Fox Arts Center. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good to see you, Dave. That was a mouthful. Yep. That was well done. <laughs> well played, you. sir. Uh, Rich, do you remember the transformative moment, I'm guessing, from your childhood that told you not only do I want, but I need to be involved in performing arts? Yeah, it's... it's uh, it's very specific, which is weird because I don't usually have a lot of those, but they're put it this when I was in middle school, um, I spent a lot of time, uh, quality time with the assistant principal after school for various reasons. <laughs> um, I believe they call that detention. Yes. Um, but anyway, yeah, I remember one day coming out of detention, uh, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, and I was walking past the cafeteria slash theater slash multi-purpose room right because you know, that school was built in the 60s that's what they were um and they were having auditions for you're a good man charlie brown okay and i had never done anything like that before as a matter of fact i used to sing all the time when i was a little kid but it never occurred to me that anybody would hear it until one day i was like singing on the swing set and our neighbor came out and he said hey that sounds pretty good i was so embarrassed i just <laughs> shut up but then flash forward to me being 13 and in trouble all the time um using my powers for evil and i walk by this room and for some reason that i still can't explain i just stopped me in my tracks and i was like i don't know that might be kind of fun i can do that i was shy i didn't it wasn't anything that i would ever do it wasn't typical but i walked in there uh there all the all the theater kids you know from the middle school were there the teacher said i don't have who are you gave me a piece of music said learn this and then sing and we'll see what happens and so i did and and somehow i got cast as schroeder you know the the guy who plays the piano um and from that point on it was just i just always knew that i wanted to do it and what's funny about that is that I've tried to quit this business for like 30 years, <laughs> you know, but it's like what it's, it's that sort of weird mentality. I just can't, I can't get out of it. Um, I'm always drawn back into it. And so that's kind of that, that's how I got involved in it. And it just never occurred to me every time I've had one of those moments in my life where it's a crossroads where I go, well, am I going to do this or am I going to join the army? Am I going to do this or am I going to sell the real estate? I always gravitate back to the theater. Do you have an all time favorite show or an all time favorite character? Um, well, my all-time favorite character that I've ever played is is in a play that probably nobody's ever heard of called The Ruling Class by Peter Barnes. Um, and uh, in it, I played the 14th Earl of Gurney, uh, who in the first half um, thinks he's uh, he, he's deranged. It was originally, the, the role was originated by Peter O'Toole. Um, and uh, the first half, he thinks he is deranged. Uh, a Jesus figure and then uh, his family tries to electroshock him out of that because he's about to inherit the entire estate right right and this with this crazy man can't do that so they electroshock it in the second half he then becomes the god of vengeance and decides that he's Jack the Ripper and goes about killing everybody but it's just crazy play that people really haven't heard of but it was just such a great experience besides that i think the one that i always come back to that uh people know is is playing don quixote and man okay. yeah so both very dynamic characters that allow you to kind of play 
yeah, uh, in, in, a, in a in a wide breath. I yeah, imagine. for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Rich, what was the moment where you realized not only can I be involved, but I can teach, I can run productions, I can run theater companies? What pulled you into a leadership role in that realm? Yeah, I think part of it is just being around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is uh, not looking down when somebody asks uh, for volunteers to do you know, <laughs> at the meeting. Um, and everybody else just buries their head and you're like, what? Um, part of it is also, um, I think when I was a senior in college, I got a chance to direct for the first time. That's when we would take the directing class. And, um, I remember with all due respect to the people that were teaching me and directing me at the time, I remember getting into it and thinking, this is where I want to go. Yeah. Like that there's more to it than I knew. And, uh, from there I went on and got my MFA in directing and, um, You know, and then I had no idea. I was just stumbling blindly out of graduate school. I worked at the Denver Center for a while, um, was just kind of kicking around. I went to Colorado Mesa University for undergrad when it was still Mesa State. Mm. Um, And uh, we went back to Grand Junction because my father was ill and I wanted to be there for the family. And I ran into one of my professors um, who was retiring. And she said, Rich, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm just here for a short time. You know, uh, dad's not doing well. And she said, well, I'm retiring. You should apply for my job. (laughs) And I said, well, how does one apply for a job as a college professor in theory? I had no idea. So she kind of walked me through it. They hired me on a one-year deal. And then I went tenure track the next next year. Uh, Six years later, I was the department chair. Um, And then it kind of went from there. And so I've, I think sort of naturally i have a i have a sort of left brain and right brain approach to things where um i can look at my dad was an artist but he was also an advertising executive right so i can look at things from a business perspective and an arts perspective um and i think that's where i've had a lot of success on that leadership on the leadership side um and also i'm just a big collaborator and you, you can't be i mean you can i suppose they're they're out there but you shouldn't be a real tyrant or an authoritarian leader type in the theater because everything we do relies on everybody else um so that's really kind of what i bring to it and and that's what i like but that's also directing directing a show is not about being in control it's about being a facilitator, being somebody who can help create an environment where you can achieve something extraordinary. And so that's really what it's all about. Uh, Chelsea, you can verify that claim is Rich either a tyrant or a dictator. <laughs> I think he is a little bit of both, but in all the best there it is. ways there it is. possible. The best ways of being a dictator and a tyrant. <laughs> Chelsea, you've taken a fascinating path yourself. You're an advocate for the arts in Aurora, uh, and, and you're local. You were born and raised here, right? Yep. Uh, where, where did that spark to advocate for the arts come from within you? Honestly, a little bit in college, um, I majored in arts education with a Spanish minor. So I started off as an art instructor right here in this area at downtown Aurora Visual Arts. Mm -hmm. I did that for many years um, and this position came available and it just was a way to kind of advocate more through our youth. We have some really exciting programs right now. We have Aurora Arts Education and the young ones there come and do theater on both of our stages several times a year. We have big plans to bring back our little foxes, which everybody nice. is looking forward to this summer. Um, so yeah, I think it started there, just had a passion for teaching and educating all walks of life, um, not just art, but theater as well. It really allows community students, people of all ages to come in and literally tell their story. And I think it brings us all together. What's the feeling like when you see a child that comes into an artistic space and they're reserved and they're maybe lacking confidence and you watch them blossom partially under your tutelage, but also partially from them exploring and finding their own creativity and confidence. What What is that feeling? 
I think it's a special feeling. It really uh, makes my heart smile big, <laughs> literally. Um, it's so great to see how they are. They literally transform. They're two different people, on stage and off stage. And for us, I think both of us, I think that's just what we want to be. We want to be mentors, leaders, and help create you know, a path for their futures and help them tell their stories, whether it's through theater, art, whatever. Rich, when you're overseeing a, a theater company and, and getting hands in on a production, you've got to have a broad view of everything. You've touched on this a mm -hmm. little bit. I imagine you're probably also a stickler for detail. You'd have to be. How do you manage that, having that 30,000-foot view, but also not micromanaging the slightest detail of a production? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that's one of the things that, that a lot of leaders in the arts uh, have to kind of come to terms with and grapple with a little bit. One of the best things I ever heard was one of my, one of my directing mentors said, to be a good director, um, you have to be able to look at your work with a microscope and with a telescope mm. at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one of those things, again, where it's just sort of being able to kind of um, perspective shift. And one of the, you know, I think it's a really important tool that that I've tried to develop over the years that I learned from, you know, I, I was lucky to study with, with really great directors and great actors, um, that you are able to learn the language of the people around you. Uh -huh. So, um, you know, I, I speak the language of lighting design, I speak the language of acting, I speak the language of dance, um, but at the same time, I'm not a lighting designer. I'm 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 not a dancer, right? <laughs> I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, um, but uh, you know. So, but uh, you know, as a director or a leader or a facilitator, my job is to be able to come to somebody and speak to them on their terms, not expect that they need to learn my language. Um, and I also just find that fascinating because every actor works differently, every lighting designer works differently. I'm not the sort of leader that's going to say I know how to speak lighting design or costume design, scenic design, or what or marketing whatever and tell you how to do your job but I want to be able to have a conversation about it um, and I think knowing as many different things as I can about as many different things as there are to know um, helps me stay fresh it helps me stay curious and it helps me be what I think overall is the most important thing in leadership which is communication mm -hmm. and uh, listening the audience is oblivious usually to production issues or backstage drama as a veteran of the performing arts, I'm sure you have stories for days. Can you recall a moment during a show, either when you were involved in or producing, that was just in the moment panic-inducing, but looking back on it, you can laugh about now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your stories for days. Yep. <laughs> um, some of them I can share with our listeners. All right. The, no, one of my favorite ones was actually when I was doing, uh, the first time I did Man of La Mancha, and I was playing Don Quixote, and I was a senior in college. I was way too young to be doing the show. <laughs> but, you know, there it was. Mm -hmm. um, the, the entire, if people have seen it, the entire first part of that show relies on the actor who is, you know, essentially, uh, ostensibly playing uh, Cervantes. And he's thrown in prison, and then he decides to tell the story of Don Quixote. So the theatrical convention there that happens is that Cervantes pulls out this thing of costumes, and he puts on a wig, and he puts on a beard, and he becomes Don Quixote right in front of your eyes. Well, the first night of that show, opening night, uh, the, everything broke. Oh, right. No. So, and the other thing is, you don't get to leave stage the entire first act. Right. You guys on stage, he's in prison. He's stage the entire time. So the entire thing broke. So the illusion is shattered. Yeah. This gets. Yeah. So I was 
I was a fairly intense young man at that time. And um, <laughs> so at intermission, I went backstage and I relieved my frustration on the side of the stall in the bathroom oh. with my right hand. And I did so in such a way that I was sort of facing away from it. And instead of hitting the knuckles I should have, I hit the uh, last knuckle, my pinky knuckle, and I snapped this metacarpal bone right in half. Um, and this is an intermission. And so uh, <laughs> I uh, say, well, as they say, the show must go on. Right. So I thought, well, how am I going to do this? Was well, I'm going to do this? I'm going to pound about eight Advil, <laughs> and I'm just going to, you know, give it a shot. So I went out there. I ran into the director, who was Perry Carmichael, one of the all-time great guys. And I said, hey, Perry, I just punched the bathroom stall and broke my hand. And he just looked at me, and he shook his head. And he walked away. Wow. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. So the funny part about that thing is t twofold. One, I broke my right hand. At the end of the show, uh, Sancho Panza brings out the glove to remind Cervantes that he was Quixote. The guy playing that always brought me the left glove every time without fail. Not that night. So when my hand was swollen to twice its size, Kirk McConnell brings me the right hand glove he swears to this day it was oversight but i know him well enough right so i had to figure out a way to put this glove on my hand so i finally did was a place where where quixote says woe to the wicked when he remembers who he is so i put my i put i just shoved this my hand into this and i went whoa <laughs> to the wicked and the, the other funny thing that happened was after the show i went to the er and I had to wait a little bit for the orthopedic guy to come in to, you know, set my, to, to do a cast and stuff. Orthopedic guy comes and he says, what happened? And I, so I told him this whole story about how we had a fight scene in this show and I fell down and I broke my head. It was a total accident because I wasn't going to admit, right? right? So anyway, he's like, oh, okay, well, that's very interesting. And so he goes, he goes, oh, we get the cast. And as I was leaving, he goes, I, I want to apologize to you for being late tonight. He goes, I was at the show at the college with my wife. <laughs> He said, and you know, it's funny because I remember that fight scene and I just don't remember you falling down. He goes, but it's not a big deal. He said, you'll be fine. He said, oh, and by the, by the way, the other thing he said, you know, it's interesting. He said, I see this kind of fracture all the time. We call it a boxer's punch because it usually happens when people hit a wall. Oh. That was the orthopedist. <laughs> so, yeah, things like that. Yeah. I got many sorted tales, but that's uh, that That always strikes me as like, oh, my, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. <laughs> it's good to be able to look back now with fondness. On yeah, that. but at the time, not so much. Yeah. Chelsea, you've recently joined the Aurora Fox uh, Art Center, but you have an intimate knowledge of Aurora and the scene here. Was that an easy transition for you because of that knowledge? It was a very easy transition for me, right? I've been working in the Aurora Culture Arts District for eight years now yeah. so it just felt very natural and to see all the new developments within the city of aurora and the culture arts district it just seemed natural uh rich conversely you just recently joined the aurora fox arts center yeah. in august what was the initial allure of joining the fox oh everything yeah. i mean the fox you know is is an iconic spot right um i've seen like i don't know how many shows at the fox over the years um somehow never worked there um, and so when that came open, uh, it was just a no-brainer for me to sort of try to pivot and see if I could, uh, you know, kind of wedge my way in there. Um, you know, the building is fantastic. The team is fantastic. Um, the, the work that, that has been done there is fantastic. We want to keep, keep making that better and better all the time. But for me, where I come from in my heart is really as, 
the theater as a gathering space for the community, which I always differentiate from community theater because that's not necessarily the same thing. We're a professional theater, right. but we're a community space. We're a city space. And we're in a neighborhood, that's, let's face it, that's had a lot of challenges. So I think the Fox is uniquely situated to to really become that primary space where people can gather, people can be proud of that, um, and and we can help with economic and community development and all those things that are well beyond the the, the scope of the arts. The arts are a key to that. They're a, they're a way into that. But what we're trying to do there is pretty much the same thing that you guys are trying to do at Visit Aurora. Yeah. Make this make that corridor revitalized. Make it exciting. Turn the lights on. You know, Aaron Vega's running the People's Building across the place. We have new restaurants and things coming in. Make that a destination spot for people in the metro area, people in Colorado, people beyond to say, that's a highlight. And as much as, as we love our, our friends and neighbors in Denver at the DCPA, you can come to a show at the Fox for a third of the price and see just as good a work, right? Um, and that's, we wanna make sure that it's affordable, that it's accessible, that it's inclusive. We live in the most diverse city in the state mm -hmm. by far. Um, so how do we, part of our project here that Chelsea and I talk about all the time, how do we welcome people in that would otherwise feel like they're not welcome in that kind of a space? Oh, that's the theater. It's, mm -hmm. you know, no, no, it's the theater. It's the place you go. It's the place where stuff is happening. You can have discussions, you can see stuff films and theater and comedy and music and all those kind of things. But Chelsea, the theater itself is kind of the jewel of the, the Colfax Corridor. It's right in the heart of the Aurora Cultural Arts District. How does the energy of that community influence kind of the overall mission of the Fox? I think the energy is great. I think it's um, moving up. I think every show we get, every show we bring in, every special event, I think something that would really take it to the next level and just kind of welcome more people in and kind of change the energy is right now we are the Aurora Fox Arts Center. Mm -hmm. I really think it should be the Aurora Fox Community Arts Center mm -hmm. because I feel like when people feel a sense of community, then that changes the energy even more, mm -hmm. right? Just makes it more welcoming. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it every day we're you know we're we're living there, we're around there, and people walk by, and I just know I see it in their eyes. They just say, you know what, that is not for me. Hmm. I am not welcome there. That is not my thing. Our whole mission is like, no, that is your thing. How do we make it affordable for somebody to come and see professional union actors do Broadway level work in a way that they can afford, that they can bring their families to? There's just a lot. The, the potential is insane there's some irony in that because the initial incarnation of the aurora fox theater was aurora's first movie palace in right. 1946 it was a main source of entertainment for generations in aurora and of course in 1981 there was a devastating fire it could have been easy to tear it down mm -hmm. uh build a strip mall uh the community rallied and said no this is an important piece of our history and it's been the permanent home to the aurora fox theater company since it's rebuilt in 1985. let's be honest aurora doesn't have a ton of traditional landmarks uh, but the fox is not just nearly a, a landmark it's an emotional tie to that space i like to get both of your perspectives on this why do you think places like the fox create such an important emotional connection for a community that's a good question. I think, um, for one, like you said, it is a landmark. It is a staple. It is central. It is a place that people can come to, rather they're in Denver, Southeast Aurora. Um, and like Rich was saying, come see a really good show with very beautiful... <laughs> very beautiful marketing. Very beautiful yeah, marketing. <laughs> the marketing's top notch. But over that, uh, just high quality without having to go downtown and deal with like parking, I think... Um, 
just again that sense of community and then learning more about the history scott and his team at the aurora history museum does a really good job mm-hmm. about presenting and preserving our culture our history and i think just people reading and knowing about that makes it even more so a staple in the community yeah i think boy that's so true and to piggyback on that a little bit dave i think it's for me it, it it's a little bit esoteric but i think it, it's it's it bears saying that you know that sometimes when we are in times of division and times of economic strife where there's war where there's uncertainty where there's economic uncertainty um you know those kind of things we as a culture have a tendency to then marginalize the arts and say well those are decorative you know those are luxuries right um i am a fierce advocate some might say zealot for the idea that the arts we got to look at it the other way around Mm. the arts are a key to understanding who we are as human beings um and and how we gather together how we share experiences how we can sit in a room full of people that we've never met before that come from all different backgrounds all different ethnicities all different economic status and and share an experience um and it it matters it matters it's because what's the first thing that human beings ever did besides figure out how to feed ourselves we created things Mm -hmm. we created architecture we created dance we created music those are fundamental to who we are as people it's not just a decoration it's and so when people engage in the arts they get a better sense of who they are how they fit in their community and those things matter it's embedded in the spirit of who we are as a community yeah i mean in the same way that i've been trying to quit the theater for 30 years <laughs> try to tell humanity to try to you know to quit creating things it's yeah. it's our nature to create and explore and that's what we do in those spaces you've touched on this a little bit it seems there's level to the levels of the performing arts from you know local community theaters all the way to broadway in new york and personally i've experienced and enjoyed all thoroughly and and there may be a cavernous difference in production budgets but there's not a cavernous difference in talent Uh, you can find powerful performances at all levels what would you say to someone who is skeptical that going to the fox they may not see the same caliber of show they may see in downtown denver or on broadway in new york city yeah i think that's i think that's a really great question my personal jam is more intimate closer to the performers um you know, I, I would rather see something in a 200-seat house like the Fox or a 75-seat house like our, like our studio theater than I would go to a 3,500-seat, you know, thing. So in terms of the scope of production, um, we're never going to have that. But I think I, I call that a win for two reasons. Number one, because the actual production value that we're able to present, because we have some of the best designers around. You know, we have people coming in that work at the Denver Center all the time. Brandon Case, our technical director and resident scenic designer, Casey, our sound designer, Jen, our lighting designer, and, and, and Brett Mon and people like that who come in, they could be working at any level that they want to. They're absolutely top notch. So the actual production value, when you see the set design, when you see the lights, is as good as it's going to be anywhere else. But then that other part is you feel more attached to what's happening on stage. You feel more engaged. You, the, the, the performers aren't that far away from you. So I think there's that. And for me, for anybody who likes that experience, it's more visceral. It's more immediate. Um, it, it, it's it's. I think some people go to the theater and they want to go see big Broadway shows because it's like seeing a movie happen in real life. Yeah. Well, 
okay, that's fine. You can go see a big movie happen in real life. Or you can come into a setting where those people are right there and it's very affecting. It's deeply affecting for people. Chelsea, one of the challenges of local theater is is marketing and pounding home that awareness. But I imagine one of the benefits is a freedom to have more diversity of voice in your programming. Uh, do you sense that and an ability to, yes, bring in mainstream productions with mass appeal, but also to give a platform to content that may be otherwise considered too niche? Absolutely. Um, but I want to just be perfectly honest. The talent in Aurora is amazing. Yeah. We work with a lot of local artists. Mm -hmm. So casting them and primarily casting them, I think it just brings a whole different level to our theater and the community once again. Um, it's great there because with marketing, um, it's local. It's all of our businesses. We like appreciate you. We all come together. So that helps significantly with marketing. Um, and then just being able to cross market and promote with the city of Aurora on top of that takes it a step higher as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, just to kind of jump on that a little bit, because that's a great point. One of the things that has happened over the pandemic and over the last few years, I think at the Fox, is that um, it's it's had challenges getting people involved, getting people to come see the shows, audience, uh, audience and this is not just the Fox, this is across the board. Um, but what we're really working on right now is, re like you said at the very top of the show, reinvigorating that whole thing, engaging the business community. It was great to come to the Visit Aurora annual meeting. I met so many people there. You know, getting a, a partnership and sponsorship model going again where businesses say, you know what? The Fox is doing it right. We want to be a part of that. We want, you know, we want to offer... Uh, to stay and you know stay packages with the hotels and dining packages. We're talking you know a lot of places in Stanley Marketplace, local businesses, local organizations getting around that and using the Fox as a focal point for that sort of thing. Again, I'm a big believer in the arts and economic development. The arts are an enormous economic driver in our culture, enormous, and the people don't realize that. When businesses get on board with that and they say, you know what, I want to hitch my wagon to that because it's good for my business mm -hmm. and it's good for our city. Everybody wins, all the boats are floating, right? So that's what we're up to. There's an interesting social dynamic playing out in entertainment right now where shows are being held to account for their levels of representation. Uh, it's probably not productive to wedge diversity into a work to check a box. Representation should have context and authenticity. Do writers of content have an obligation to consider representation when creating a piece? Or should one's art be their vision untethered to social expectation? That's the big question. It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think um, without copping out, I think it's a lot of both. And I, so I, I know a lot of playwrights. I know a lot of, of, of composers and lyricists. And I know that that's something key in their minds. But yet it's an interesting thing because then you you go back to the question, well, who's creating the content and, and, and what what is their experience and where do they come from? So getting in my experience as, as a writer and teaching writing, you can't separate yourself from who you are if you want to have an authentic voice. So the question is, how do you get more authentic voices writing content? Right. So that is and that's part of developing youth. That's part of developing the creative uh, the creative uh, process for for kids and teens and college college people um, it, and then also as a director you know and a lot of directing is interpretive um, how do we then think about casting differently how do we think about you know where is it in the world that says uh, that the, the King Lear has to be an old white guy right mm -hmm. um, yeah of course when Shakespeare wrote it he wasn't probably thinking of somebody other than that, but it doesn't mean that those words won't resonate 
in a in a sphere that we will understand from a more multicultural and diverse perspective because i couldn't agree with you more man it makes me nuts when diversity is a checkbox right have you done diverse things have you done your dei work sure check 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 yeah but what does that mean right right and i think it has to go all the way back to the source and speaking as an older middle-aged white guy i can also understand that i've been afforded opportunities and possibilities and privileges just coming up as a middle-class white kid in Grand Junction in New York City that other people don't have. So how can I help facilitate those conversations to get those authentic voices in the room, which is not the same thing as saying, you know what, I'm here in this position of authority and I'm going to give you a chance, my friend of color. No, it's not about that. It's about saying, you know what, this is our community. This is who we are. This is what we represent. How we make those voices loud and clear. I bring that up because I guess my sense of the that question is that we need more platforms for diverse creators so that they can have their voice heard. So it's mm-hmm. not so much let's make white creators be more diverse. Let's give more stages to black and Latino and Asian creators exactly. and everybody else. Yep. So they have this platform to express their art as well. And I think the Fox does a great job of that. Does that dynamic of representation play into the casting for a production at the Aurora Fox? I mean, I think that it could, but I think we're very mindful. If you just look at our last season um, with Tony Stone and recently we had Blues in the Night, there was a character um, played by one of the ladies. We got a little pushback about her not being black enough, if that's a thing. But I think it was casted very mindful. I will go back to again saying, the lady who ended up playing the role was a local artist. And I think people want to see and support local artists. So I think all those kind of preconceptions and prejudices go away when you are coming for just the sole reason of supporting local artists and the community. Yeah, and we and, and we do have a, an actual you know policy at the Fox of co- what we call colorblind casting, right? So we want to cast the best person for the role, um, and it's up to the director and the and the creative staff to say, you know what, does this make sense? What message does this send, either intentionally or unintentionally? What we don't we we're not in the business of beating people over the head with. Um, trying to right all of the wrongs that have happened over the centuries in one production. We are in the business of moving the needle to make sure that people are given opportunities to be able to speak their truth, whether that's somebody who's writing the play, whether that's somebody who's directing, whether that's somebody who's performing or designing. Um, And, you know, that change happens incrementally, but we're advocates for it. Approximately 200 local theater artists every year are involved in productions at the Aurora Fox. These are people in our community with full-time jobs and families, people that dedicate their time and talent Mm -hmm. to stay connected to their passion. Can you speak to that, the dedication of the people that are involved in the productions at the Fox? For me, it's just very heartwarming to see it. You can tell that they are so passionate, as passionate as we are um, about theater and the arts in general, to see them coming in after working, like you said, full-time jobs, but literally um, staying until midnight sometimes Mm -hmm. in rehearsal. Um, It is a joy. It brings me so much joy to work opening night events and just kind of show them how much we appreciate it but it's it's an aspect that doesn't go unnoticed you can feel it yeah you know the thing is that i think one of the things that i really want to try to do at the fox is sort of pull pull some layers out of this and sort of you know um yeah, un- unravel the sweater a little bit because there's a lot of mystique around the theater and the performing arts from people who don't have the experience in it. And I think one of the things that is 
most prevalent among audience members like that, and there are many. It's not a it's not a value judgment. It's just what it is. Where either it, I mean, one of the paradoxes of this thing is that our job is to make it look easy, right? Right. <laughs> and so what happens sometimes is that if you make it look easy, people think that it is, uh-huh. um, and they don't understand necessarily how much work that goes into that. So I always say, okay, so let's say you know your full time job is an accountant, or you're a, you're in the trades, or you're working at Visit Aurora, whatever, and you're putting in your forty or fifty hours a week. And you're busting your tail to make ends meet, to put food on the table, to get your car payment, your insurance, all that stuff. Now go ahead and add another 30 hours or 40 hours to that of something that you that you want to do so badly that you're willing to do that, that you're willing to make those sacrifices. Um, and it's work. It's hard, hard work. Um, and I think when more people understand that, then there's an empathy that goes back and forth between audience members and actors. So you know what? As an audience member, I appreciate and I recognize what you've been through to make this happen for me. Because the reason we go to see the theater, I think, a lot of times is because we're having a vicarious experience of these characters that we ourselves either can't have, won't have, or are afraid to have. So we put those warriors in the same way they do in sports. We put those warriors on the battlefield up mm-hmm. there because we want to watch them have those experiences because that's how we learn. We can't do that unless we support artists at the highest level. That's another one of the reasons that we work with Actors' Equity. We pay our non-equity actors the same fee that we pay our equity actors. Only difference is that with equity, we pay into insurance and pension. Otherwise, we want to make sure that those people are being honored, that their work is doing that. So um, that's that's really important. And I think that's one of the things that makes working at the Fox attractive, too, because that's the culture there. And that's, an, uh, I guess, reason number 87 that I, that I wanted <laughs> to be there. We're in a world where attention spans are shrinking, entertainment options are expanding. How do the local performing arts not only compete but thrive in that landscape? Well, I think... We have to understand, well, I tell you what, you can't go to any meeting of theater people without hearing the following, you know, lament. Our audience is getting older. What are we supposed to do to replace them? How do we get a younger audience in here? And then the response to that, with all due respect to all of my colleagues everywhere, and I'm one of them, is that we say, well, let's just market better. Let's just make sure, you know, let's just do put more stuff on social media. Let's just send out more things because that they'll, they'll want to come if they just know about it. Um, I don't, I'm not sure about that because what I know, I have four kids. The oldest is 26. The youngest is 10. Um, my, my own maturity level is closer to the 10 year old, but that's another story. But, um, but you know, these, this is a generation, Gen Y, Gen Z, even lower have a Gen X. We are content creators, mm-hmm. right? We don't want to just be absorbing content all day in this unidirectional, I'm going to go sit in a dark room. They're going to put a show. They're going to do a show at me. I'm going to appreciate it, <laughs> right? I'm going to appreciate it. Then I will clap and then I will leave. These are people that spend the day creating TikTok and Insta right. and amazing content, right? Because they have the capability of doing that. If we don't understand that a young audience is not an audience, because audience implies I receive this information in this show, but they are participants in the process in some way, then we'll never get that audience. So we have to allow people to come into the space and also help create. Now, what does that look like? 
that's a much longer discussion, but that's where my focus is in terms of trying to generate younger audience. It's not just market better, but say, you know what, this is a place where you can come and participate in the thing, not just see it. And I think creating different venues um, for different ages helps too, because I've seen just since January um, with our cabaret shows, I've heard um, our younger generation telling their friends helping promote. It's not theater, it's like a show or it's like a concert. So I think just really strategically planning our um, season lineup and always doing our community partnerships with Colorado Jazz. That's a whole nother, you know, targeted Mm -hmm. audience. Um, Shelbus and the rest of us in on New Year's. December. Yeah. On New Year's. Um, what else? I think just keeping different shows, keeping them fresh, keeping them spread out mm-hmm. in the right way just to target different audiences. Yeah, I, I think, think that, that really helps. Yeah, the mix of the programming is huge. You know, that's one of the things we're really working to, you know, again, to use the word diversify. So the Fox, I mean, that studio theater, what a cool place for stand up comedy. Yeah. Right. So we're going to, we're thinking about that. What, why aren't we having some acoustic? you know, so, some unplugged concerts in there. Why, you know, so just, so you know that no matter what, it's like, if it's at the Fox, it's gonna be cool, gonna right? Be cool. And there's a little bit of something, no matter who you are, but then also, what does that look like? How do you participate in that? If you're, you know, if you're 17 years old and you're spending your day on your phone, what's gonna get you off your phone? Yeah. Or what's gonna help you partner with your phone in order to do something that participates in the creation of the thing that you're seeing and you're actually in it at the same time. So the the technology is daunting because we grew up just being like, I'm going to learn my lines and then I shall present them on stage in a way that's interesting and fascinating and that's enough, right? Not anymore. So, I mean, these are big, big questions, but we have to confront them. You've touched on this a little bit, Chelsea, but what are we excited about for 2024 and what's kind of the the vision for the future of the Aurora Fox Arts Center? For 2024, we are just excited um, to be under new leadership with Richard. I think we are going places. Our first show kicks off in February, and that is art. Um, And we are really just looking forward to it. We have some amazing local directors, some that you've seen before, some you have not. Um, So I think we are just looking to the Looking forward to the whole season in general. Is there anything you want to yeah. have some partnerships with the Aurora Public Library? Do mm-hmm. you want to talk a little bit more about those two? Yeah, so so 2024 is our season 39. So, um, and it's moved to now it's a just a calendar-based year. It used to go from you know September to May and sort of traditional, but we've moved it. So it goes from January to the end of the year. So we have our five main stage, um, you know, major productions. Um, and, but we're actually having a meeting next week to say, okay, so now let's look at that entire calendar in terms of what's going on and what opportunities do we have in that year to put in other stuff, right? So whether that is maybe somebody rehearses a show somewhere else and comes and does it for a weekend, that's, again, that's comedy. Maybe there's improv. We're looking at doing some drag. We're looking at doing some more music, you know, just to try to really fill the thing up. Mm-hmm. The way I look at it from a producing standpoint is I say, how many nights a year is your theater open? How many nights a year do you turn the lights on and have something for somebody to come see? I think over the next couple of years, we'll probably double that. Uh, it's an exciting time right now, and and your energy and invigoration is not unnoticed. Uh, thank you for bringing so much light to our community, particularly in the Aurora Cultural Arts District. I mean, it's a, a vibrant area that deserves the attention. It des- deserves the acclaim. It deserves uh, traffic, and it deserves an audience to to be engaged in, in all the hard work that you guys are doing. So thank you so much for your efforts. I know um, there's probably a, a lot of time where 
where it feels like a labor of love. But uh, I think you guys are building something really special for our city. And we appreciate that from you. Hey, and we appreciate all the work you guys do and appreciate you having us on. And this is great. And I, how did I do? You did great. All right. You did great. Checks in the mail. I want to leave the community with one final thought. Yeah, go go. for it. Come to a show, right? One thing David said was um, there's a lot of interactions with technology. These young kids, I think people are lacking passion. If you come to a show at the Aurora Fox Art Center, once you see our actors leave their heart and soul literally on the stage, it makes you want to do the same thing. And if you can't, it makes you want to come back and witness it again. Yeah, I think that that is so well put. And, you know, there's I, I remember when we first started to open venues up again after the pandemic and people were really reluctant to come back. But when they would come back, they said, man, I'm so glad I came back because <laughs> I missed this. I missed this connection with my neighbors. I missed being there when it's happening. So it's happening. Oh, it's happening. Yep. <laughs> that was Rich Calvin, the executive producer and artistic director of the Aurora Fox Art Center and Chelsea Jones, marketing and communication strategist for the Aurora Fox Art Center. Thank you for protecting and enhancing such a remarkable asset in our city. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, Dave. Take advantage of all the amazing shows at the historic Aurora Fox Theater. Check out the schedule at auroraFoxArtCenter.org and make sure to follow along on social media at the Aurora Fox. Thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast. Visit Aurora is the official destination marketing organization for the city of Aurora, Colorado, and acts as the primary liaison between meeting planners and hotel partners. As Aurora's convention and visitors bureau, Visit Aurora's mission is grounded in showcasing Aurora as a premier destination for meetings, business, and leisure travel. Visit Aurora represents more than 75 plus hotel properties with 13,500 plus guest rooms and more than one million square feet of meeting space, including Colorado's largest resort, Gaylord Rockies Resort and Convention Center. As Colorado's third largest city, Aurora is located minutes away from Denver International Airport and showcases mountain views, memorable meeting spaces, and 250 plus international eateries that offer a unique experience for each and every visitor. As the gateway to the Rockies, Visit Aurora's role in the local community goes beyond marketing the city as a destination. The Visit Aurora team is here to assist you with your Colorado visit from facilitating your meeting, event, or convention to helping you discover local flavor and attraction. Go beyond the boardroom in Aurora, Colorado. For more, visit us at visitaurora.com.